welcome to the fourth official soccer podcast. My name is Buri Oludemi, and it's amazing that I have to announce to everyone that we have Suleiman back. Suleiman, how have you been? I'm happy to be back. Now. Don't make it sound like I never wanted to be on the show, but you know what? It's been 129 days I've been counting, and I'm so happy with the caliber of co-host that you had in Justin and Adi and the banter that you guys did. I, I hope I can pick up from where they left off. Yeah, you mentioned it's been 129 days since you last were on the podcast. And in that time, uh, Bayern Munich, Liverpool, Madrid has won the, their, their respective leagues. Lewandowski scored 43 goals in all competitions. Uh, Arthur moved to Juve and Hakimi uh, was signed by Inter, which were personally, I think that's a very good signing for Inter Milan. Um, and shockingly, Ronaldo missed a penalty. Messi scored 700 goals. Benzema has been absolutely been a beast this uh, this you know this season. Um, so he's been on fire. And our favorite and my favorite is Pogba is finally back and gelling very well with United. Which one of these is very exciting for you to hear? That last part, Buri, it puts a lasting answer to your question: Where is Pogba? Pogba is here. Pogba is here to assist. Yes, and for those that don't know, um, uh, before coronavirus, when Pogba was really uh, on injury, we had kind of like a, a running joke where every episode we ask where Pogba is because we didn't understand where he was. Um, but he's finally back, and, and that's ha- answered uh, you know, a, a very huge question that we've had. On the topic of Pogba, let's talk about the English Premier League and this special fact that Liverpool, after 30 years, are now the champions of England. Buri, I want to hear your quick thoughts on this grand achievement. This is a phenomenal uh, birth by Klopp. I mean, he took this team and he made them very, very good. And he's turned them into a team that people are afraid of. I mean, people are still afraid of this team, even though, yes, they lost to Arsenal and Manchester City um, after they won the, the, the league. But, I, I mean, apart from those, those few mistakes, I mean, this team has been tremendous. They, you know, from the keeper to the front lines, they've been very good um, and, and they, they've played very well. I mean, uh, all credit, personally for me, all credit to Klopp. Um, he's turned uh, a bunch of, I would say, not so world-class players into world-class players. Like you look at a player like Henderson. Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, I- I'm sure you can back me up here when I say Henderson is not the greatest of of players. But Definitely. but he, you know, when you see him play now, he looks like a world-class player. He's turned Van Dijk into a world-class player, and all these. You know, Mane, Salah, like they've become world-class players and top players. Um, so, so credit to Klopp for, for doing this. And, and congratulations to Liverpool fans, you know, 30 years coming and, and they finally won it. Um, and, and they can, you know, it couldn't be more exciting, in, you know, because they, they, what, they have like a 20-plus a gap in the league and that, that's how they were able to win it. And it's just tremendous that Klopp was able to achieve such a, a, a crazy stat uh, uh, for Liverpool this season. Definitely. And I'm very skeptical when people use the word world class, but you get a pass on this occasion because I feel like this momentum and this monumental achievement definitely deserve to bring the birth of players who are world class. So I'm going to ask you two direct questions on this topic. Who is the player of the season for you in this Liverpool campaign? And also, who is your unsung hero for this campaign? I think unsung hero, maybe he's not... Okay, 
I, I, I'm between, okay, I have two players in mind. And uh, one is the obvious one is uh, Trent Arnold and uh, the other one is Mane. I, I think Mane is, I would say, is an unsung hero. I think Trent, uh, Trent Arnold, you know, had a very tremendous season. He had so many goals um, and, and assists. Um, uh, you know, what, what, a, what a very fine player. So for me, I think, I think I'll, I'll put the player of season on him. Uh, Salah should have been, but he didn't really... I mean, this season was a little quiet compared to the past two seasons. Um, but Mane, for me, on Song Hero, um, I mean, this is a player that terrorizes, you know, the defenders, uh, and he he creates goals and, and he does a lot for the team that you know I, I feel like doesn't really get mentioned a lot. Um, but uh, that, for me, that would be my unsung hero. How about you? Definitely, I think my unsung hero has to be Allison. And to say this, I say this because people like Salah and Mane and Van Dijk and Trent. They get the credit. They are just as equally deserving of player of the season. But I feel like Allison gets overlooked a little bit. And I want to say, for me, without him, there will be no trophy. That's my unsung hero. And for my player of the season, I think for my choice would be definitely Virgil van Dijk. And that's just because I believe that winning campaigns like this starts from defense. And that's the one thing that Liverpool has struggled with. Fair point. I mean, I don't, I don't agree with you, honestly, uh, especially with the Allison. Honestly, I think Allison is just benefiting from a very good team. I mean, like if you look at the stats, I think he's uh, the number of shots that he he's had to concede is not as much as other other teams like like Ramsdale in in Bournemouth or or Pope in in Burnley. Um, but I get what you're saying because obviously. Liverpool two years ago had a very bad defense, and that's why they didn't win the Champions League final against uh, uh, Real Madrid. Um, but then when they bought Allison and Van Dijk, everything seemed to change, and that was just the thing that they need. It seemed like they needed. Um, I think there is that, but I, I, I definitely don't agree, especially with the unsung hero. I don't agree. Allison is, I mean, come on, like Allison makes mistakes. I mean, keepers make mistakes, but like to me, Allison still needs a lot of work. Um, but I think he's benefited from a very good team that can keep the ball, hold the ball, and pressure people so that they don't, you know, pressure the opponent so that they don't, you know, uh, hold the ball for too long. So uh, that, that's just my, that's the way I see it. Yeah, I think my perspective stems from the fact that Liverpool fans would never forget the curious case of Lurius Carries. So, and then I think Alisson is an improvement definitely on that. But let's talk about the next season's Premier League outlook. There are a few teams that are, that are surging, being dominant. And do you think you want to put Liverpool in the equation for another trophy next season? I think not, actually. Um, yes, they will vie for it. Um, and they may even end up finishing, obviously. I mean, first of all, they'll end up finishing top four for sure. But uh, when I look at the players that, for example, Chelsea, uh, you know, Chelsea are signing, uh, like they've signed Timo Werner and, and Hakim Zayek. Um, and, and there are rumors about Havertz. You know, I don't know, you know, what these rumors. Um, but yeah, so thinking about the Chelsea squad for next season, um, thinking about Manchester United because obviously they've been, uh, you know, they've woken up since the coronavirus. Uh, uh, you know, like since we've come back from the coronavirus, and and they have Fernandez, and then uh, Pogba seems like he's going to stay. Uh, they're t they're thinking about you know probably reinforcing the back with Koulibaly. You know, we've heard the rumors, right? Um, so let's assume that that United are going to have good signings and, and, and that would 
obviously elevate them. Um, then you think about Manchester City, uh, who who's losing David Silva and people are stepping in. I, I'm sure they will have signings. I, I don't know what signings they're looking for now, but I'm sure they will have, you know, uh, top signings. Um, I think it will be hard for Liverpool to, to win the league next season. I, I, and I actually, I, I would make a bold prediction that they will not win the, uh, uh, the Premier League next season. I think also part of it will be kind of like, you know, maybe like a winner's high. You know, they've won the past two seasons. They've won the Champions League. They've won the Premier League this season. They may be tired. I think they will get tired and I don't think they'll be able to continue their, their winning streak. Interesting. Maybe they'll win the FA Cup. I'm just joking. But I, in 2016, after Leicester City won the league, I was high on them. And I actually thought they were going to win the season after that, even though what they did was a 1 in 50 chance of happening. So do I think Liverpool is going to win next season? Definitely, I'll throw them in the hat and we'll see how it goes. But with that, let's move to a very controversial topic. And I don't want us to adjudicate, but I want us to just talk about it from a perspective of a fan of the game and how you feel about it. What do you think about the fact that Manchester City are going to be playing in next season so you have a Champions League? Yeah, I mean, you're asking somebody that, you know, supports a team that was punished by financial fair play. I mean, you know, so it, I would say, I wouldn't say I'll be biased, but I just like the law to be applied equally to everyone. Um, it's clear that they cooked the books back in, I think, 2014. Uh, I think this is part of why they are uh, uh, being punished because they, they realized that they were lying, uh, which, you know, if you're lying about the books, that's, you know, you're breaching financial fair play, especially if you actually breach financial fair play, right? Um, to, to give a quick reminder to everyone, uh, AC Milan uh, ended up not playing the Europa League this season because of this. We ended up fifth in the league last season and, and because of financial fair play, our punishment was we were not going to play in the Europa League. Why is this same law not being applied to Manchester City? Um, it seems like everything boiled down to some kind of technicality, uh, which is really sad to see because if people can go around these rules and, and bend the rules for themselves and, and things like that, then that, that becomes really, for me, a problem. And to me, I don't have faith in the system anymore uh, because it seems like they are, um, you know, what, they find them, what, like 10, 10 million uh, or something? Uh, yeah, and yeah. It's, yeah, and it seems like, you know, if the law is not being applied to them, uh, then, and it's applied to us, then, you know, there seems to be some kind of bias. And this is where I'm like, you know, I'm kind of angry and kind of pisses me off that that they they're still going to have to play the, the UEFA Champions League next season, which is really sad. Um, I think it's not a good look for for the for the EPL in general because again, we've 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 heard this before, we've seen this money talks, and it seems like it talks for UEFA. So that's how it seems. But again, I understand like the way they are talking about the rules and they say like, yeah, it's just a technicality and that's how they got off. That to me doesn't seem good. It feels like a lot of, a lot more clubs now start using these obscure rules to kind of benefit their justification for buying players and lying on their books. So that's how I feel about it. I think, I think it's a scam. It's all a sham. Um, and and it's it sucks for clubs like Milan that could have probably won the Europa League with the form that we're in right now. Um, so, yeah, that is interesting. I like I like the very ending part where you say probably win the Europa League, even with the fact that the likes of Manchester United also in very good resurgent form are in there. But I agree with you, and I think you make a fair point. I'm looking at this from a point of I don't want to be stuck up in some Stockholm syndrome type of thing. You ever ban AC Milan? 
How do I feel about UEFA? I don't care about UEFA. The fact that Manchester City get away, I'm in neutral. I enjoy watching the game. And I'm, I'm going to tell you this. I used to think Pep was a fraud. And him coming to England and what he has done here and the way he has played, they just lost to Arsenal 2-0 in the FA Cup. But still, the way they've played over the last couple of years, I love watching the style. And to not be able to see that in the Champions League and have some team benefit from this punishment is what I feel like I was never in support of. But I agree. They cook the books and they should be punished. However, the law decides fit for that punishment. Now, let us move on and talk about the Premier League in general, the top four picture. And this is why I love the EPL. We have heated arguments about how some leagues are farmers league and some leagues are just an easy ride. But the EPL, the picture today, Chelsea sits in third place with 63 points. There are two games left and it's still possible for this third place team to not make the top four, which means they will miss out of Champions League football. And as if that's not enough, let's look at the relegation picture. We know Norwich, they came here and they didn't even really try. I'm not gonna even give them any credit. So they're relegated. But then from Norwich, after Norwich, we have Aston Villa in 19th place up until West Ham in 15th place. That is five teams. And as it stands right now, mathematically, it is still possible for the 19th place team to not get relegated. And we only have two games left in this league. If that doesn't excite you, I don't know what else will work. But with that being said, let's move to the La Liga. And I, I, I kind of wish we had Justin on the show. I think we have to bring him back at some point to get his reaction on Real Madrid winning the La Liga. But you have something you want to share about the statistics of the La Liga, and I want you to hear it out. Yes, for those, I mean, okay, for those that have not watched the La Liga or the Serie A this season, they would not, they would not know that this is happening. Um, basically, it seems like any time the ball touches your hand, it's always going to be, almost always going to be given as a penalty. And then I heard a stat this week that said, or this last week that said, you know, uh, 47 handball penalties have been given in La Liga. 50 handball uh, uh, penalties have been given in the Syria compared to the Bully and the EPL. In the Bundesliga, only 18 handball penalties have been given as of July 15th. Um, and, and in the EPL, same uh, 15 handball penalties. This is, I mean, this is a drastic difference in the, in the law or in the way that these leagues are interpreting the handball rule the handball rule now says at least before july 1st uh it says that you know if your body is a natural silhouette um, and as long as you're not intentionally moving your hands to 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 touch to touch the ball in the penalty box then it, it's not going to be a penalty but it seems like in the syria R and and i can count many that i've seen especially in the syria R, that you know, if the if the hand is slightly out of the body, it hits the hit, hits the hand. It's always going to be given as a penalty. Um, so the one good thing, though, I would say is they have been consistent. Uh, these handball calls have been consistent. But the thing I don't understand is why is it different in the Serie A and La Liga versus the Bundesliga and then the EPL. I mean, the reason why I bring this up, especially, is because you have players like Ronaldo, who have scored so many penalties this season. Uh, a defender, Sergio Ramos, in, in, in La Liga, has scored, I think, about eight or nine or ten, even maybe, penalties this season. Um, 
sure like okay i'm not saying that like i'm not trying to bring them down or bring their stats down but you cannot tell me that the reason why they have these penalties is not because of these obscure like very relaxed or you know very relaxed rule about penalties uh, handball penalties i don't know what your thoughts are about this definitely a new development and i'm surprised impressed actually that you're tracking the statistics but i've heard a lot about how a lot of real madrid goals have come from penalties and the stats the numbers don't lie so it looks like there's definitely some truth in the stats and what i would like to say is the fact that they are converting it is actually something i like so these penalties were given but penalties by themselves don't count as goals so you still got to place the ball down i'm speaking for justin here now but you still got to place the ball down and put it in the net and let's give credit where due real madrid did the job needed so Madrid are champions. Bori, I want to get your thoughts on who you think the player of the season for this team is. Uh, yes. So we've talked about Sergio Ramos, but personally, he's not the best player of the season uh, uh, for Madrid. Uh, you know, not you know, not because I hate him, just because I think there's a better player, Benzema. I mean, Benzema. Where after after Ronaldo left, Benzema had a downfall, like a downturn, when where Real Madrid couldn't win games, they couldn't win La Liga. And it seems like they were having troubles uh, in in general. And a lot of people, especially on social media, were like, "Oh, Benzema sucks." But you know, Ronaldo left, and they can't, and you know, they can't win the Champions League. Uh, you know, blah 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 blah. Um, I mean, look at Benzema this season. I mean, let's let's even take away the goal scoring. Just the kind of player he is. He's able to draw defenders to himself. He's able to just like pass the ball around. He's you know very well. He's able to go past players very well. I mean, you're talking to somebody that is like over 30 years old. Um, and I personally think he's filled in the shoes that 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 Ronaldo left open. I mean, like I, I not comparing. I'm not saying that Benzema is as good as as Ronaldo, but but the impact that Ronaldo had on Real Madrid while it was in Real Madrid, I think Benzema is having the same impact. Uh, again, not in the goal scoring, but in the just the the gelling with with any front player that that they had. You know, they had Vinicius Junior, they had Asensio, they have Hazard. He's able to really communicate well with all the forwards that have played, and he's able to score goals. And that's the part you know that's the part that even makes you know put the the icing on the cake. So I, I, for me, I think Benzema is a much better player right now and, and was, a, you know, he is the best player this season for Madrid. And, um, and I keep bringing back the same question. You know, I know this is another question that we always ask, like, why is Benzema not being called into the France team? I think he deserves to be uh, on the French team, but I know there's a, a lot of politics around that, so so that's a different thing. But but with the Euros coming up, I, I think it would be stupid for for France to not include Benzema in that squad. Definitely, all the the nice things you have to say about Benzema, I agree with it, and I think he definitely is a candidate for Player of the Season. But there's an unsung hero here, and he's very controversial. People call him the Snake. They call him all kinds of names, but Thibaut Couture had also a very good season. And I know not everybody likes him, not everybody likes to acknowledge the fact that he's a good keeper in his own right. And I think he's also a candidate for player of the season. Let's move on and talk about Barcelona. Your dear Barcelona, Bori, what's going on in Barcelona? Yes, for those that don't know, I mean, I'm, 
obviously Barcelona did not did not win the league uh, this season. Um, um, the trouble really started when you know last I think last summer when when Messi. Well, the claim was that Messi was asking for 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 players and backup of players, and um, uh, especially Neymar was the was the was the name being touted. Obviously, a very uh, financially complicated deal to, to do because, you know, given the money that will be involved in Barcelona does not have that money. Um, so uh, I think that was kind of part of the beginning of the distress, I would say, in, in Barcelona's upstairs, quote unquote, the office upstairs. Um, and, and it continued. And then we heard in, I think, around February or, or maybe in January, um, Eric Abidal basically bashing the team and saying, like, you know, like, uh, they need to do better and, and and something along that line. I can't remember the, the actual exact quote. And that sprung up Messi actually going on social media, which you never see Messi do, um, and basically kind of defend his team and say his team is playing very well. I mean, like they're you know they're they're downsides and, and upsides, but like in, in general, he said his team is, is doing very well or the team is doing very well, and he hates that like Eric Abidal is kind of pushing the blame on the players. Um, so that obviously was not a good thing uh, because it sounded like uh, Eric, you know, Eric Abidal or Messi went behind the back of Eric Abidal to say this and, and went out of his way to say this. Uh, and this continued, you know, and, and we've started to hear like, you know, uh, especially with Valverde, uh, who was the coach that was fired uh, before I think the, uh, the coronavirus, um, uh, earlier this year, basically, um, uh, Valverde was 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 uh, was fired, and uh, again there were rumors. It depends on who you listen to, but there were rumors that that um, you know a lot of Barcelona Barcelona supporters were saying uh, Barcelona is not playing good football. They, you know they're not, they're just being just like you know very vertical. They're just trying to score and just win games. Um, and people wanted to see kind of like the Barcelona style of like 2010 2011 era. Um, and people were saying that Messi was even part of that. Like, it was like trying to get rid of, of, of Valverde. Again, a rumor that is not confirmed. Um, but um, all of that, all of that commotion, all of that distress really is what has caused the, the situation at Barcelona right now, where it seems like there is no unity. There is there's a lot of communication that are not uh, similar. Like, they're, they're very... Uh, different or, or the, the communication is not the same between the players and the admins um, and then uh, and then you have this situation where like they're losing games to to teams like Osasuna like like you know teams that they shouldn't be losing to um, so all of this is contributing to to the trouble in Barcelona and and this is where I, I hate to say this but this is I think the reason why Madrid won because if you really think about it look at the point gap between Madrid and Barcelona this season even with all the distress the point gap is around I think four or, or six points um, and, and this is something like it's, for me it's still incredible that this team is still able to uh, to win or, or, or to, to get this close to Madrid, um, uh, even with the point gap, even with the distress going on in Barcelona. So, so that, that, that's really it. That's just really my rant about Barcelona. I think the problem with Barcelona right now is not the players. It's not, personally, I don't think it's the players. I just think it's the unrest and, and the lack of communication and, and the poor decisions, uh, personally, because I think for Valverde should not have been sacked. And I think, honestly, I'll make a bold statement right now. I think Valverde would have won the, the uh, La Liga without, uh, would have won the La Liga if, if they didn't sack him. 
Um, but that's something that you don't you're not seeing now because again now they've sat Valverde and and now they're not win, winning and it looks like in the Champions League I don't even think they will go close to to the semifinals. So uh, that that is just my rant about 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 Barcelona. Interesting. Thanks for your very deep take on this topic. I actually got something from there that jiggled something in my memory. You mentioned the fact that Real Madrid did not win this league. Barcelona gave it away. And I agree 100%. I have actually maintained that stance all season long, that this is Barcelona's trophy, but Real Madrid has it. And what's interesting is I was watching a game the other day where Mauricio Pochettino was in an interview and one of the people in the rooms from, was from Leicester City. And he, Mauricio Pochettino had said, you have our trophy. And this goes back to the 15-16 season where everybody felt like that was Tottenham's trophy. And that's how this feels for me. Because all season long, Real Madrid, they kept having these close ties. And you know the typical Barcelona. They won distance. But they never could break away from Real Madrid. And a lot of implosions, losing to teams they wouldn't have lost to. And I have to agree with you. No offense to Real Madrid fans and Real Madrid players, but this was more Barcelona conceding a trophy to Real Madrid. Oh, yeah, Bori, the Syria. A lot of excitement going on. And this is very personal, Bori. I don't usually get excited talking about AC Milan, especially with all the ongoings that we've had in the last few years. But I want to check your pulse, Bori. How do you feel about Milan right now? Tremendous. I mean, what a phenomenal team. And this is a team, I mean, I, I can go on and on about this team and how good they've been after the pandemic. Um, well, after the coronavirus uh, uh, break. Um, this team has gelled very well. And that's one thing that we've seen. It seems like they're communicating better amongst themselves on the pitch. And it seems like, I, I honestly, I think part of the reason why they're doing very well is because the fans are not on their tail. I mean, if when the fans were back in the stadium, um, you know, you, you hear them, you know, boo the, the team. And I think that kind of affected them, especially a player, uh, especially uh, Kessie, because I think Kessie is a, a kind of player that plays well under less pressure. Um, and he's playing phenomenal uh, because there's doesn't seem to be any pressure on him right now from the fans. Um, but I do want to mention one thing. I want to mention Ibra's impact on this team. I, I know a lot of people are going to give me flack. For, uh, a lot of people are going to not agree with me or some people will not agree with me. But I think Ibra not only does he bring his skill? But the, the important thing that we were missing was that leadership quality. I mean, yes, we had Romagnoli who was like kind of like a leader, but Ibra brought something different. He brought a different kind of set of leadership skills to this team. Um, and, and that is kind of like a, a strictness, kind of like, a, you know, he, if you watch our games, I mean, if, if, if people out there watching our games, when somebody makes a mistake on the field, the way Ibra looks at that player, it's almost as if he's, he's about to kill them, like literally murder them. And that's the kind of, impact that he's had because those players rarely make make mistakes now because they don't want the Ibra, you know, eyes. Like, I don't know if you've seen the, the, the eyes I'm talking about, but you just see Ibra staring at them, like, like staring to their soul, like he's about to murder them. And, and that's one, something we've seen that Ibra do. And I think that's an impact that you see from Ibra because you see, you know, he, there's this kind of accountability and this fear that like, if I make a mistake, I'm going to get chewed on. Not only that, you have players like Rebic, Kessie, Benacer, Castillo, who I thought was not like a, a great player doing very well. I got to point out uh, one good thing about our, our defense is Kiaia. I mean, 
since Musakio was injured, Kia stepped in and we, we got him from Atalanta this, uh, this January. And he's been phenomenal in the defense. I mean, he's such a wonderful player. Another player that's done very well is Hakan Shalhan Nogu. I mean, he's also very, you know, this is a player that I've always bashed and I always talked about how not good he is. I don't want to, I'm going to use nicer words. But he seems different. And again, I cannot stress enough that all this is due, I think personally, a lot of it is, is due to Ibra's impact. The other thing I, I want to attribute this to, and obviously is, is Pioli, who, who's the coach. Um, Pioli had time during the pandemic break to really rethink his strategy. Because remember, we had Giampaolo in the beginning of the season. He got fired. They, they hired uh, Pioli. He had some, kind of like a better impact, but it wasn't so great. But once the, pande- uh, the coronavirus break was over, you could see the impact. You could see that Pioli's philosophy was instilled on this team. And I'm sure, and I don't know what he did. And I've heard that Pioli is a, is a coach that really uses technology. Um, I, I, you know, if you look at the bench, wh- whenever the, the camera pans on the bench, you see, like, I think he's, he's, um, he's, uh, he's, uh, assistant coaches are on their laptops and you can tell that like, he's tracking some kind of data on these players. And that's something that I'm, I'm sure like he kind of looked into during the break and was, um, and saw where the need was and kind of, kind of filled in that, that need. So all credit to, to Pili, all credit to the team. Uh, we've played, I think, eight or nine games now. We've not lost any of them. We've only tied two, and we've won the rest of them, which is something crazy. We beat Juventus. We beat uh, Lazio, which is unheard of. We beat, um, we beat Roma. Um, and, and, you know, this Napoli. team has just been tremendous. Yeah, and, and we tied Napoli. Now, the one thing I, w- I want to say, and this is the part that really kind of angers me, and I kind of want to hear your, your, your position on this. Uh, we've been hearing about this coach, Rangnick, who was the former coach of, of Leipzig and also the, I think, the director of, of Leipzig currently. Um, and we've heard that the rumor is that he, he's, he's, you know, he's coming to Milan as the coach and the director. Um, and this is where, this is kind of what pisses me off because he, this thing is working well. Pioli is, is, is gelling well with the team. Everyone is happy. Now you're trying to bring this new coach who has no experience in Syria, who has, you know, you know, not as extensive experience as purely, and you're trying to bring him in to 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 change what? What exactly do we need to change from this team? You know, I I had a different answer to you. If you had if you asked me this question a week ago, I would have had a different answer. But now my position is the fact that this might be a wrong decision. And the reason being that sometimes in life, you, all you just have to do is learn how to get out of your own way. We've, we've languished in this obscurity for the last five years, struggled to even show any sign of good life on the field. And we finally have it. And guess what we're doing? We're trying to bring in somebody to undo all that. And that's why I feel like this might have been a decision that was made before this run started. But hopefully there is someone in the organization that can undo this decision and say, you know what, Rangnick, we get your credibility and all, but what we have right now is working and we want to stick with it. I hope there's still a reversal course in, in this, at this stage that we're in so that PLD can stay. Yes, and uh, keep in mind, earlier this season, we fired Boban for some, I don't know why we, we, we fired him, but now he's suing Milan. Um, 
just bring Ragnick and put him in that director role. Like, you don't need to change up the coaching. Like, Ragnick is good for recruiting players, no doubt. I mean, he did that in Leipzig, and that's working out well for them right now. Um, so that is what we need. I, I get that. We do need that. We do need to be able to recruit top players, well, top prospects, I would say, young players that are going to be successful in the future that we can sell for a huge profit. I get that. But to bring him on and also replace the coach doesn't make sense to me. I, I mean, Pioli has shown that he's a kind of coach that can do, that can use with whatever players he's given to him. He can use the players that are given to him. I mean, we have uh, uh, Castillejo who is injured right now and he is arguably one of our best forwards, but he was able to fill in his role easily and it's as if like we, don't, we didn't even miss him. So, I don't, I don't understand. I, and I share a sentiment. I really will be angry if, if Milan actually goes ahead and, and hire him as the coach because that would really bring us back. And I, and I think we'll have a Giampaolo repeat where, you know, we fired Gattuso even though he, he, we ended up fifth. And now we hired Giampaolo who doesn't have experience with top, big teams and he, he dragged us down to the bottom of the, of the league. But now Piola saved us back up and now we basically have guaranteed a uh, a Europa League spot which I mean it's not as good as a Champions League spot but it's still better than nothing um so that is just my my really my, my little rant uh let's focus back to a team that has fallen way off the track and that's Lazio um it seems like after the the coronavirus break they just have I don't know what the stat is, but I, I should have gotten the stat. But they've lost so many games. They've tied games that they shouldn't have, they, they shouldn't have tied. And it's just ridiculous how I, ta- I thought that this team was going to win, uh, you know, the, the Scudetto this season. But, you know, you, you have players like Immobile who, can, who cannot find the scoring boots anymore. And, and just the team is in shambles. I mean, what, what's your take on this team? And why do you think they fell off after the coronavirus? Break. Well, I have, I really have no answer for why they fell off, but I also think that this is more just a matter of the fact that forms change, and when you have a team like that that is actually was actually overachieving, a lot of things were going right for them to consistently deliver those results. I think that coming back from coronavirus and still realizing that it's still they're still playing catch up. Maybe it's just not, they didn't just have enough motivation in the time to play catcher. They'll make Champions League. So definitely at the beginning of the season, I still think that wasn't something they would confidently say they would achieve. But I also feel like if there was ever any season for anybody other than Juventus to win the Serie A, it would have been the season. You're right. I mean, uh, I, have a, I have a quick question for you. Do you think if we didn't have this coronavirus pandemic and given their form, do you think maybe that kind of just, you know, moved? because it seemed like right before the coronavirus, they were, they were on fire. They were winning every game. But then the coronavirus break happened and then they came back and they started falling. Do you think if they had continued with that, like if there was no break, they would have been fine and they could have possibly won the, the league? In isolation, yes. If you look at their form, definitely they suffered from the coronavirus break. That's in isolation. But you also have to think about the fact that Juve has also suffered. So would Juve have been sloppy had the coronavirus break not happened? So, but I think it would be more challenging because you know that Lazio will be breathing down your neck. So Juve would have to put their best foot forward every game. 
Yep, great points there. Um, let's talk about Juventus quickly. I mean, yes, they have a six-point lead with a game in hand, actually, um, which, uh, you know, it's a, it's a common pattern, I guess I would say. Um, and probably th- that means that they will win the, the, the Serie A. Um, but even with all this, Juve, to me, has not seemed to be a very good team. Uh, I mean, just from especially the midfield and defense. Uh, Kielin is out, um, and... And Delete is um, he's been out uh, because well part of it is he he's been getting to suspensions he's been he's been having a lot of handballs so like um, their defense seems to be really shaky and personally I think Chesney has been absolutely atrocious like he's not like if you if you watch the game uh, where we Milan played Juventus the goals we scored him felt like he should have scored you know caught uh, most of them but. My point is, it seems like they're getting old in the back, even though they have delete, uh, but he doesn't have that much experience. Um, and it seems like in the front, yes, Ronaldo is scoring, but a lot of them are penalties. And it seems, and the ball is on fire, uh, to be honest. But it seems like something is still missing, even with them having this point gap. And, and I think a lot of it will probably will see it in the Champions League. But I don't know exactly how to even explain this. But the midfield is, is also really, you know, bad. I mean, you have uh, uh, the likes of, of Benton Court, um, um, uh, Pjanic not playing very well, uh, even though he's mo- maybe he's because he's mo- already moving to Barcelona. Um, I, I don't know exactly how to even describe this UV team. But it seems like, yes, they, are, they seem to be winning, but they are not really in good form. And it seems like they're just squeezing out the win. And... I've even heard rumors that, you know, if they don't go find the Champions League, um, that Sarri may actually be, have to let go because if you really think about it, they've been worse since they've had Sarri on, on, on as a coach. But what are your feelings about some of these rumors and what do you think is really going on in Juventus? I would not be surprised if Sarri is fired and this is just because his reign, his whole reign in this club has been inconsistent and he has lost games that he should have won. He has lost titles that Juve have won for the majority of the last few years. And the play is not consistent, even though he's acquired a good number of players. So I won't be surprised if you let him go. And you said it best, the defense is old. And like the old times, or unlike the old times, all defense in Italy used to mean a lot. But with Juventus this season, it's actually starting to feel more shaky than in recent times. So I just think the defense needs to overhaul. The league should stay and Chiellini and the likes, you can keep them for the experience, but you want to build something that would last another 10 years like the likes of Chiellini and Bonucci lasted in the last 10, 15 years. Yes, to be clear, the, the centre-backs are the ones that are old uh, just because I mean, Delis is, is the youngest, obviously. Well, not the, maybe not the youngest, but he, he, well, actually, probably is the youngest. Um, but the people that are supposed to re- replace Bonucci and Chiellini are, you know, Rugani, for example, who is not a good defender, center back. So um, I think they will have a problem, especially like if they don't make a change quickly, they're, they're going to have a problem in, in the next, maybe next season or, or in the next two seasons. Um, and that for me is alarming, but we know Juve, they are very good at, at getting good players and top players and, and they're a very attractive club um, to, to wanna, for players to want to 
to play for. Um, I do want to mention Atalanta. Again, I know we've kind of talked to them in, in passing in previous seasons, but uh, they are on fire. Um, and actually, they are now in the discussion to win the, the Scudetto, but uh, given their, their this last this yesterday, um, it seems like that's not going to happen. Um, but you know, it, it's just a phenomenal team that I'm happy and I can't wait for the Champions League to start to see them play in the Champions League. Yeah, so on that note, actually, I've been waiting for you to mention Atalanta. Model team, a very great team. Probably, the, not even probably, I believe they're the highest scoring team in the Serie A this season. They have the highest goal difference of all teams in the Serie A this season. That says a whole lot. But the course of success might come to haunt them. I think of teams like Monaco two years ago that had Benjamin Mendy and also had Bernardo Silva. I think of the Leeds United of the early 2000s. I think of Porto in 2004. What happened was they achieved this level of success and they were picked apart by the elites in Europe. And I've also, I started hearing that Martin Derun might be linked to Manchester City and a lot of, most of all these other players have been linked to big clubs. So the cost of success might be right around the corner for this very successful team. Actually, I believe Atalanta actually are the highest goal-scoring team in Europe's top five leagues. And I think it's all thanks to PSG not playing uh, after the coronavirus. But I think, I, and I may be wrong, but I think they're either the, the first or second top highest scoring team in, the league, uh, in Europe's top five. Very impressive. And I, I, I definitely want to see them do well in Europe as well. All right, that rounds up the Syria. Thanks for all the updates from Italy, Bori. Now let's talk about my favorite part and segment of the episode. What random fact do you have for us on this episode? Yeah, this is all the way going back to a team, Manchester United, and a player that I love personally, even though he's not good, you know, off the pitch is not the greatest, but on the pitch he's, he's very good, Ryan Giggs. Um, there's a stat that I saw, uh, I think, last, um, that Ryan, Ryan Giggs scored 100 goals without scoring a single hat-trick. Um, I don't know if that's a surprising thing or if that, um, you know, like if that's a bad thing or a good thing, uh, but um, the number of goals he scored was, was, was so many for, for United, but none of them were, hat- none of them were a hat-trick. So just wanted to point that out. And that, that's the, the random fact. That is impressive. I, I like Ryan Giggs on the pitch. I think he's a phenomenal player. I always remember the run against Arsenal. And I, I think it, it doesn't surprise me, but it's definitely good to know because I feel like he's the kind of player he would get a goal there, a brace here, but maybe not a hat-trick because he's a winger. But if he played in today's game, I mean, we saw Martial get a hat-trick. I won't be surprised with the way forwards have been deployed today. I wouldn't be surprised if Ryan Giggs had a couple of hat-tricks in his career. All right, that wraps up the episode. We want to thank you all again for listening, tuning in. We apologize for the slight break with coronavirus and logistics, but I promise you we're back now. At least I am back now, and we will be serving you more interesting episodes as the weeks go on. And don't forget to always find us on social media. We're on Twitter at 4th Official SP. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and also on Google Podcasts, Pop Official Soccer Podcast. If you want to email us, you can find us on Pop Official Soccer Podcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next week.